Everybody turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And, um, and <laughs> my, wife, uh, my wife last week, we were watching the sermon back. She said, she said, Sean, don't look down at your Bible because you're nervous for three minutes. Actually look and make eye contact with everybody in their home. So I did good, and she was giving me a thumbs up. So everybody turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 22 through 26. And I want to read a portion of Scripture that, quite honestly, I've preached many times. But in light of what we're going through in this new series, there's some new revelation that I have. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about seed time and harvest. We've been talking about the importance of a harvest. What is a harvest? We've been talking over the last nine weeks about what seed is. But I want to go ahead and, you know, we might bounce back and forth between these as we journey through this. And some of you are like, hey, Sean, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the, the title of this series is Trees. We haven't talked about a tree this entire time pretty much. And so I'm going to go ahead and try to open up where we're going. I want you to know that many of the trees that we have bear fruit and that we are called as believers to bear fruit. I want to look at the life of trees all the way back from Genesis all the way through into Revelation. And so it shouldn't take us very long, you know, but um, we're going to journey through that. And this morning, I'm going to open our minds up to have an understanding, of, particularly a spiritual understanding of what it is to see in the spiritual realm. And, and I think it will help us as we engage God's word and we begin to look that Jesus, where Jesus was, even all the way back in the garden, where he was and where he was placed in the garden. I think it's important for us to understand that and then what, what that does for us here in the temporal. Mark chapter 8, we'll start with this story. I think this will open us up to be able to see things maybe in the spiritual realm in a different dimension. Um, it says, Then he came to Bethsaida, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, um, actually translated there where it says he, it, it literally is translated, they came. And so it's speaking of Jesus and his disciples, they had came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him away or out of the town. And when he had spit on the eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, made him look up. And he was restored and saw everything clearly. And then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. I've said it many times over, whenever we open up God's word, we see on multiple dimensions. And so God, what we're praying for in the life of the church is that God would open up the eyes of our understanding that we would be able to see the many dimensions that God speaks on. In this particular text, God is speaking to us on many different levels. I want to go ahead and start uh, just laying some very temporal groundwork or very commonplace understanding that many of us have is, we'll start with this, that there were people in the town that brought this man to Jesus. I think it's important to note that at the very end, 
Jesus says to not go back to the town, but to go to his home, which means his home was not in the town. And so we have this curiosity that sparked in our hearts that we have people from a town bringing a man who doesn't live in the town to Jesus. So it kind of begs to answer the question, kind of begs us to ask the question, what is this man doing in this in town if he doesn't live there? Why is he hanging out? Why are his friends there? And so I think that's very important uh, for us. The second thing that I think is interesting is that when Jesus is faced with an opportunity to heal someone, he takes them away from the people that brought this blind man to Jesus. I think it speaks to the idea that there are some people in our circles and some people in our life that God has to remove us from for our healing to take place. Um, um, Jesus, actually, the word there that he led him out by his hand was ecclesia. Uh, we, we hear the word ecclesia all through the Bible, that basically God is, calls people out from where they're at. I want to ask you this question this morning. Is there anything in your life that God is trying to call you out from? Could it be possible that the healing that you want in your life, you're not able to receive because you're unwilling to be called out from an attitude, a behavior, a spirit of unforgiveness, uh, a, 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 uh, the environments you run in. And many of us cling so tightly to those things that we know that we forsake the, the miracle and the, and the thing we're praying for. So God called him out. He called him away. Hebrews 8, 9 actually refers to when, when the people, when the Israelite people were in captivity. And I think this is an important note that they were in captivity. They were prisoners and they were in, in captivity. And it speaks of this in Hebrews 9. It says this, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them, listen to this, by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. It's speaking of the Israelite people when Jesus, when God took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I, dis, I disregarded them, says the Lord. So he led them out of captivity. Some of the things that you are, you are refusing to be called out from have actually kept you enslaved. What are those things? What is God trying to lead you away from? Uh, then, then, then this probably one of the weirdest things in there, and Jesus, you know, just before this, he had actually healed a blind man. So God's getting real touchy-feely in this healings are right around Mark, and particularly in the section. So b- between 7, 8, and 9, he just really, when he heals people, there's a lot of touching going on. But just before this, in chapter 7, Jesus actually sticks one of his fingers in a guy's ears like he's giving him a wet willy so he can make him be able to hear. So God is getting really handsy with people as he's dealing with them. Of course, last week we talked about the importance of the hand that we might be able to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and see what the Spirit wants us to see. And he uses his hand, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to restore our vision, that it not just be an earthly vision, but it be a heavenly vision. So all this flows together. You guys have to keep this in line. So Jesus is getting real handsy to demonstrate that I have, I have provided an avenue that if I have a hand apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that's healthy and not withered, I can restore you to have a spiritual hearing and a spiritual sight. God wants us to see spiritually 
first. Now listen to me. God wants us to see spiritually first and temporally second. Now, this sermon has been preached so much, and, and, and it's, they, people have come at it from so many different angles, but I believe I have some, some revelation on this that I think is important. What we have preached is we have preached that God didn't do the miracle good enough when He touched Him the first time. I want to propose to you this morning that He did it better when He touched Him the first time, and He diminished Him with the second touch. And so he gave him a glimpse of something in the spiritual. And then he brought him back to the temporal. Whenever we see in the spiritual, we see it in glimpses. So you can open your Bible in the morning or late in the evening and you can, you can get a revelation. You get a glimpse of his glory. But you don't stay on the top of the mountain forever when you see Jesus and Elijah, and you see the prophets of old, you don't get to stay there, build a tabernacle, and, and dwell there. You get a glimpse, and you come back down the mountain. And so all through the Bible, we see people getting glimpses of God's glory, glimpses of the spiritual, glimpses of angels going up and down ladders. We get glimpses of those things. But I want to propose to you this morning that that is not, that is not the... It's not like Jesus didn't do it good enough. It's that he gave him a glimpse of something that he hopes that all of us will begin to see more and more, seeing in the spiritual. And then it's out of him that he spit, he spit, spit on him. I, I think that's pretty... And here's, here's just a funny thing that I, I just... This is, has nothing to do with spiritual, but this is really interesting. The word is patui in the Greek. So patui. Right? So if you were to make a spittle sound, right, and you were to spit on somebody, it was a patooey. So, patooey, you know, like a, almost like a sneeze. But that's how you pronounce it, patooey. So he spit on him. Some commentators, some commentators, they argue, and they say that the spit represented, out of Jesus, represented the Holy Spirit. And we talk a lot about the water representing the Holy Spirit, anything like that represent the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. Um, and, and, and so those kind of things. They believe that the spit represented the Holy Spirit proceeding from Jesus to heal the man's spiritual blindness because it is the spirit that leads us into all truth. All right? And so, so that's part of what they believe. And then he said that the man, after he spit on him and Jesus laid his hands on him, that he looked up. Okay, now listen to me. He looked up, symbolizing a view from above. He saw a spiritual insight as God sees things in a higher dimension. He looked up. Now, we talked last week about the, the lady that was bowed over, bent over for 18 years, 666, spiritual of Antichrist, focusing on the flesh realm. This is the flesh realm is what the enemy eats and his punishment. He feasts on the dust of the earth, and she's focusing on the dust. But then Jesus laid his hand on her, and she stood up and looked heavenward. And we see a lot of this in healings that Jesus, 
will heal somebody and then they will look up heavenward, meaning that they go from a temporal vision or an earthly vision to having a heavenly vision. So here, immediately, he looks up and has a heavenly vision. So we don't need to say that the miracle failed, but that it was his vision was rightly put placed where it should be, where all of us should walk in the majority of our life, where Jesus walked much of his life. He had a heavenly vision. He looked up. This was a special insight. He saw the spirits. Listen to me. This is, my, this is my take on it. He saw the spirits of men rather than their physical bodies. Now, what would happen if us as a church, if, if we would begin to see the spirits of men and not them in their temporal state? How would that change how we love each other? How would that change how we understand each other? You're like, well, Sean, how do I see the spiritual versus seeing the temporal? I don't understand that. Well, here's the thing. Whenever we see in the temporal, the way that we can engage whether we're seeing in the temporal is we engage people with the desire that we can receive something from them. Okay? So I, I'm going to engage you for the sake of what I can get from you. And so every engagement, every conversation is for the sake of my edification. Not even edification, but as the sake for my um, self-gratification. Okay, because edification involves us to grow or to care about others or to be challenged. It's not edification, but it's self-gratification. And most of our relationships are based on, on our desire to, be, to gratify our own wants and our own needs. He looked up. And then Jesus, we, we, we know that he, he touches him, all right? He touches him and he asks him this question. And this is the question I want to ask you this morning. Jesus asked him, what do you see? So he touches him and he asks him the question, what do you see? God healed spiritual blindness first. There, whenever God heals you, he heals you on multiple levels. And he, in God, it was always busy. Before he had a paralyzed man get up, he healed them of their sinful state first. And then he called them to rise up in the temporal. So God will always approach the spiritual first, and He will do work on that first, and He will heal that first. He will restore that first. He will redeem that first. It is the spiritual that He's after. And when He heals the spiritual, the temporal follows suit. See, in the church today, we have, we have gotten in the business of attacking fruit before we have dealt with the root. We are always going after that which manifests and not considering why what we see is what we see. There is a deeper root problem at work. When someone has an addiction to drugs and they are completely addicted and it's destroying their lives, it's not the drugs that are the problem. And it's not the addiction that's the problem. It's something deep down underground that probably many of you don't see that's the problem. Are you, are you hearing me? When someone is wrestling with anger, right? Most of the time, when, like, for instance, if somebody's really angry and they're just struggling with being angry and they get up in the morning and they have a pet peeve about the toothpaste actually being rolled up, but it's just been squeezed and half of it's up in the cap and they freak out. And this hasn't happened. I'm not using a personal example. I'm just saying. And they freak out and they're mad about the toothpaste and they, they're going off. It's not about the toothpaste. The toothpaste isn't the problem. But marriages have, di has, have dismantled over toothpaste. 
But the toothpaste isn't the problem. That's the fruit of a deeper root problem. And we have become professionals at avoiding real issues and real problems. So Jesus asked them, what do you see? God healed the spiritual blindness first. He opens his eyes where he could see the spiritual kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things will be added to you. See, many of you are praying prayers that the things will be added to you before you have first sought him. And you want to have all these things, but you don't get those things. The, gate, the door to getting these things is through you seeking him. God wants to heal you spiritually before he can heal you temporally. Jesus said, I, I believe this. I believe God touched him. He asked him to look up. And the man said, I see, I see trees as men. I see men as trees walking about. And God touched him again and said, they ain't ready for that spiritual revelation yet. And then he began to see men as men. What do you see? What do you see in the simple things of life? What do you see? What do you see when things aren't going exactly the way you want? Are you seeing in the temporal? Are you putting your hope in the things and that are temporal? Are you putting value on your job? Are you putting value in, in, in relationships temporally? What, what do you see? I think this is the greatest question the Bible ever asked, and it makes us reflect internally. What is it that we see? My wife actually read me a quote this morning by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Their parent, this girl's parents were hungry when they named her. It is Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, right? And so uh, I think they were probably on a juice fast like I have been doing. And they were like, they're like, well, we're pregnant. It's going to be champagne, butter, 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 lots of butter. I just want some butter. Butterfield, a field. I want a field of butter. Let's call her champagne Butterfield. Anyway, this has nothing to do with any. But so God is asking, what do you see? What do you see when life isn't going your way? So she quotes this. Brooke read this to me this morning. God is not crushing the dreams of parenthood when he deals the card of infertility. God is asking you to crush the idolatry of pregnancy, to be sure. And he is saying, you need to dream my dreams, not yours. What do you see? When you can't get pregnant. Do you see God's dreams for you? Or do your dreams reign supreme? I put it another way. I took liberty with it. Because I thought this could apply to many of us today. God is not crushing the dreams of provision. When he deals the card of unemployment. God is asking you to crush the idolatry of self-sufficiency to be sure. And he is saying dream my dreams. Not yours. Then I put it another way. God is not crushing the dreams of success when he deals the card of failure. God is asking you to crush the idolatry of achievement, to be sure. And he is saying, dream my dreams, not yours. What do you see when things don't go your way? And one more, God is not crushing the dreams of intimacy when he deals the card of singleness. This will preach. This will preach real good. I'm going to say it again. God is not crushing the dreams of intimacy when he deals the card of singleness. 
God is asking you to crush the idolatry of marriage, to be sure. And He is saying, dream my dreams, not yours. My question is, what do you see when you're single and you want to be married? What do you see when, you're, when God has shut up your womb and you want to be pregnant? What do you see when you want to be successful but you continue to fail over and over and over again? What do you see when you want to supply the needs for your family and provide for your family but you continue to be laid off in seasons like this? What do you see? Are you able to see in the spiritual as much as you can see the temporal? So then Jesus touches them a second time and restores his natural sight. He restores his natural sight. Now, listen to me. He, he gives them a glimpse of the spiritual and then restores his natural sight. This order of events illustrates that our spiritual sight is far more important than our natural one. But we tend to put more emphasis on God providing for our natural needs over our spiritual needs. We look for wives and husbands this way. We look for churches in this manner. Oh, that'll, I just can't go off on a tangent on that. I don't got enough time, but man, I mean, you, you would not believe the percentage of a population, I don't know, I wish they would do a study on a percentage of population of people that choose churches based on the temporal. How cool the building is, how, how fun the kids' room is, how, how neat the place is, if it's a new building versus an old building. Um, if the message makes me comfortable or if it makes me uncomfortable, because we don't really care about our spiritual needs. We just want our, our felt needs, felt, felt, carnal needs to be met. And if that's met, then we'll choose and base all of our decisions in life based on that. So then there's this example, and, and you have to understand that you cannot just cherry pick a scripture out of out of a text and not put it in the full context of what Jesus is trying to do. Because even as he's healing people, he's communicating and teaching his disciples something. He's trying to teach them exactly what I'm trying to teach you this morning is that there is a, that he cares about the spiritual vision and the spiritual hearing over the temporal. And so he's trying to speak this to them. You need to know that uh, just before this, we, we just of course read um, Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through, I don't even know, 22 through 26. But before that, right before that, here's what happened. And then, so we have this situation where Jesus heals the 4,000 people. And then he tells the disciples to gather up the bread, the leftovers. And then after they, they cross the water, they come to the other side, then the Pharisees come out and begin to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, this is Mark 8, 11 through 21. This is right before what we read about the man seeing trees. Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take the bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, just before this, in chapter 7, he had touched a man's ear that he might be able to hear spiritually and temporally, that he might be able to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he did this with the hand. 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, okay? That's what he uses today to be able to speak into the lives of people and challenge them. Now, so he did that. He opened their hearing. And so Jesus began to speak to them. Listen, in a, in a he's using temporal language, okay? He's using earthly language, and he's describing a spiritual message. And he's speaking of, and he said, I want you to be able to hear. He just healed person that was deaf, and now he's speaking to disciples who are deaf spiritually. They can hear the words that are coming out of his mouth, but they cannot hear in the spiritual realm. And so he, he is speaking, he charged them, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, okay, he must be talking about the fact that we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Are you hearing me? And having ears, do you not hear? Why ask a dumb question, Jesus? They just heard you, and they're trying to figure it out and trying to see their way clear, clear so they can hear and they can see. But he's speaking of the spiritual ears and the spiritual eyes. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves of the 5,000, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you're so dumb? You know, he didn't say that exactly. He was thinking it, but he said it nicer. He was thinking, how is it that you do not understand this yet? Because just because you have an earthly vision and just because you have earthly hearing doesn't mean you can hear and see what the Spirit is trying to say to the church. And so Jesus is trying to restore. Listen to me. That's why this, this, this scripture I read this morning is so important. Jesus wants to restore the church's heavenly vision in our life. He wants us to get more glimpses of the spiritual. In these verses, first, the Pharisees display their hypocrisy and unbelief in verse 11. The fact that these are the people who are supposed to be leading God's people in the way they should go is deeply upsetting to Jesus. And this moves Jesus to warn his disciples to beware of leaven that seeps in and destructs and destroys and is pervasive and it corrupts influence. And it is a corrupting influence. The disciples demonstrated that their perspective is narrow and self-serving. All they care about is feeding their fleshly desires. Can you relate this morning? They just want to feed their hunger and feed their fleshly desires. And he's trying to speak of the spiritual things that they can have bread that they do not know about. Jesus speaks of that at the well. They said, aren't you hungry, God? Because all they care about is feeding their fleshly desires. And he says, I have bread that you do not know about. No, I'm not hungry. Oh, that we would be able to partake of this bread. And then he was sent to his house. This man never came from the town. Listen, when God opens your eyes, those that knew you, this is important, God instructed him to not go back to the town with the people who had actually brought him. Now, you may may be saying to yourself, these people must be awesome. They grabbed this blind man. They brought him to Jesus so they could be healed. I'm going to warn you. Be careful who you trust in your life. Just because people do something good doesn't mean they're trying to do something better for themselves. 
Just because somebody helps you doesn't mean they're not trying to help themselves more than they're trying to help you. People will use you as a step stool to get and snatch what they want out of their life. And all the while, you will be thinking that they're trying to do it for you. God tells them not to even go back to those people. You need to know God led them away from those people for a reason. When God opens your eyes, those that knew you when you were blind will not accept what you can see now. They will not. And so we have to understand that there are some people that when you were living in blindness, they loved you, they championed you, they helped you, they cared about you. But the moment you begin to get glimpses of the spiritual, it makes them uncomfortable and they will not accept you. I don't know if you can relate. I don't know if you can relate. But this is the way it works. God uses a tree as a symbol of eternal life. Now I want to, over this part here, I'm going to connect this back to what I, the scripture we read at the beginning but I want to lay a groundwork for where we're going this year. And I want to begin to just pepper some scriptures in here that I think is pertinent. That I think is essential. God in the Bible uses a tree as a symbol of eternal life in the garden. The oldest living thing on earth we discover is the Bristolacone pine tree from America. This is this is almost an example of perpetual life. A tree of this age would go all the way back to Noah's flood. God wanted a symbol of eternal life. So he chose a tree because it is the longest living specimen of natural life on the entire earth. The tree of life is a symbol of Jesus. The tree of life is a source of eternal life. Genesis 3.22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is becoming like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. There is only one source of eternal life, and it is Jesus Christ. He is the only way to true salvation, and he is the only way to eternal life. 1 John 5.20 said, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him. That is true. And we are in Him. That is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, that this is the true God and eternal life. I'm going to read it again. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we know that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is eternal life, and Jesus Christ was in the garden. First John 5.11, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this eternal life is, this, is the son of God. Let me give it to you again. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is his son. 1 John 5.11 So the tree of life was the symbol of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Genesis 2.9 I'm just trying to lay some groundwork here so you don't think I'm just going off the rails and not talking about scripture. 
And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The ministry of Jesus is recorded in the midst of the Bible by the four Gospels and, and that join the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Thus, Jesus becomes the focus of the entire Bible. In the same way, the Spirit of Jesus was a central person in the Garden of Eden. Christ was the focus of everything in Eden. Christ. But then suddenly, after Adam's sin, the tree of life had moved to the east of Eden to form the door by where repentant sinners could again return to the garden or to the presence of God. Genesis 3.24 talks about that. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden, Eden, cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So now you have a door, an opening, a way to get access to eternal life. So now the tree has been moved to a place where there is a door. A natural tree does not have a way. It stands still in one place. The tree of life is the spirit of Christ who moved from the center of the garden of Eden to the eastern border to become the door so that he could make a way for sinful people to be redeemed back. John 10, 7 says this, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said, said, said unto them, I am the way into eternal life. Isaiah 37, 16 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims. God dwells between the cherubims. So the cherubims at the east side of the Eden were surrounding the Spirit of God. In other words, the tree of life was a symbol for the Spirit of God. But Jesus is God. John 20, 28 says, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. I feel like give gives us a little introduction to where we're going for the rest of this year. I want you to know that Jesus was in the garden all along. And he was a tree. And that when we, when we see people spiritual, we see them as trees. I want you to know that you're a tree. And he hopes that you will produce good fruit. And it is important that we are planted. And actually, David, King David said that we would be planted by rivers of living water and produce fruit. That we are trees in the spiritual. And just to drive this home even more, I have a couple pictures that I want to share with you. First, our heart. If you are wondering, Sean, how, how could our heart be a tree? And when you look and you look at the blood vessels of a heart, this is what it looks like. It looks like a tree upside down. Even the very nature of our DNA and the way God structures us, our very heart looks like a tree, even in the temporal. And this is a picture of our lungs, our blood vessels in our lungs. It looks like a tree. So when we engage people, here in our fellowship, when you engage people in your homes, ask that God would give you a glimpse into the spiritual. You know, the only way that you can 
It says in the Bible that we, should, we will know each other by our fruit. We will know each other by our fruit. That we can judge people according to their fruit. But you can only judge people according to their fruit if you're someone who gets his glimpses of the spiritual. If God has restored your spiritual eyes. So we need to pray that God would give us a vision and that we would be able to see. I'm going to close with this, and I think this is important. What do you see? It said of, of uh, Peter, let me see if I can find this here. It said of Peter, Mark 8, 27. Everybody turn your Bibles there, and I'll turn with you. Mark 8, 27, and I think I'll close with this. Mark 8, 27, Jesus is asking, what, who do people say that I am? And then Peter, <laughs> impetuous Peter, speaks out and he says, Now Jesus, as his disciples went out to the towns of Caesar of Philippi, and on the road he asked the disciples, saying to them, Who do men to say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? He's asking them, in other words, What do you see? What do you see? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And um, in Matthew, it actually says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 30 in Mark 8, 30. Then he strictly warned them that they should not tell anyone about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer all things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. And he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But <laughs> this guy's crazy. Who rebukes God? Anyway. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but you are only mindful of the things of men. In other words, you do. Isn't it interesting that Peter gets a glimpse of the spiritual, but then defaults right back to the temporal? And so you need to understand that this happened, all of this happens right after he heals the blind man and gave him and restored his spiritual eyes. And all of these things that I'm telling you, from the feeding of the 4,000 to them not seeing spiritually to all this, God is trying to help teach them there is more importance in seeing spiritually than seeing temporally. There is more, important, more importance than having a spiritual understanding than having a temporal understanding. And just because you get a glimpse of heaven doesn't mean you don't operate in the temporal. And God is calling us to a new dimension, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, that we might see in the 100-fold. When we talk about issues like healing, we do not diminish the spiritual, track with me, even in our preaching, like this sermon in chapter, Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 28, we do not diminish the spiritual and say that God has failed to give us a vision. It is not God's failure. It is our failure to not see in the spiritual. He gives us spiritual eyes that we might be able to see him in all his glory. I'll just throw this in there for a bonus, right? I'll just throw this in there for a bonus. And I really got to close, but we're, when you go to Genesis and it said that he, um, he fashioned together, um, he fashioned together skin to put on Adam 
after they had sinned. In the Hebrew, the word skin there is human skin. It is not skins of animals. Track with me. It's not skins of animals. In the Hebrew, it is human skin. And, and when we, what we know is that most of, most of Genesis, that, that, that he walked in the cool of the day, that when uh, there's a lot of um, um, ancient theologians that believe that there wasn't even blood in Adam's vein before he sinned, that it was just a Shekinah glory flowing through his veins. He, he was, it, when you saw him, you wouldn't even see his body. It was just the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of the God surrounding him. And when they sinned, that glory was removed. And it said that he fashioned skin, human skin on him, and made him fully temporal. And the reason we struggle to live outside the temporal and into the spiritual, is that we've gotten comfortable with the skin that we live in. And God wants us to come up a little bit higher. I'm going to say it again in case you missed it. Have you gotten comfortable with the skin you're in? Because God wants you to come up a little bit higher into new levels of glory that we might be able, that when people behold us, when we behold ourselves, we behold Him as in a mirror. We do not behold ourselves anymore. That's God's desire for our life.